0: Our text today is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Beginning with Ephesians 5.18, the Apostle Paul gives to us the power without which one cannot live a Christian life. That power is the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, we read, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Word of God read and preached today, to each of you, will indeed fall upon deaf ears if the Holy Spirit does not regenerate those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, or does not give faith to believe and apply His word. Of all the gifts which God has freely given to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit is that which far exceeds all other gifts in excellence. For God not only has given us his blessings, but he in the Holy Spirit has given us himself. There is not a greater demonstration of one's love for another than to give oneself to the one that is loved. This filling of the Spirit is not a distinctive second work of grace as taught by Wesleyan's and Pentecostals, but rather is an ongoing, continuous work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying the Christian. The Apostle Paul states that the spirit-filled life of a Christian is to be manifested in all areas of life. First, in public assemblies of the church, as we see in Ephesians 5, 19-21. Second, in relationships within the home. In Ephesians 5, 22 through chapter 6, verse 9. Whether husbands and wives, parents and children, or masters and servants. And the Spirit-filled life is to be effective in all other areas of life in general, as we see in Ephesians 6:10 through 20. Dear ones, the Holy Spirit is not to be squeezed out of any room in our lives. This is to be understood and thus understood, dear ones, that if we would have the kind of marriages that bring glory to God, edification to others, and edification to ourselves, we must be continuously filled with the power of the Almighty Spirit of God. We can't we can't change ourselves. And we certainly cannot change our spouses. This is true whether we are married to a Christian or married to a non Christian. You may be one of the means, dear ones, by which the Lord effects change in the life of your spouse. But remember, you are not the Holy Spirit. You cannot effect that change. You can be the means by which God may change another person, through whom God may show love, compassion, speak the truth, but you cannot change another person. That is God's work. It is important to ever keep this before us so that we do not become impatient, frustrated, discouraged, and depressed over the lack of change that we see in our spouses. As always, when we are talking about change, our focus must first begin with ourselves. We must become the husband or the wife God has called us to be, first of all. We must first examine ourselves. We must first take the beam out of our own eye before we seek to take the sliver out of the eye of another. Dear ones, how the Lord delights to hear and answer the prayers of those who earnestly ask of him, sincerely ask of him, urgently ask of him, continuously ask of Him the good gift of His Spirit to be poured out and to fill their lives as we see in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. Here's a promise that the Lord makes to you, His people, today. If a son shall ask bread... Of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Neither husbands nor wives, dear ones, are without the need for improvement in their lives, in in their respective duties. No one has reached that place where we cannot grow, where we cannot improve, where we cannot confess sin. And see God's grace in our lives. All of our marriages are in need of God's sanctifying grace. Let us then eat and drink freely of Christ today. As we feed upon his word to our spiritual health in our marriages. And let those who are single. Those who are courting. Those who are soon to be married, take heed to the Spirit of God today that you might build your marriage from the outset upon this firm foundation. This Lord's Day, we will focus our attention upon two main points, the role of a husband and the duty of a husband. <clears throat> we'll continue speaking to husbands next Lord's Day and then the Lord's day, after that, we will address the duties of the wife. First of all, then the role of a husband, in Ephesians 5:23: For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The primary role of the husband in the home is that of a leader. Or as Paul states in Ephesians 5.23, a head. The end or goal of a husband's leadership is to lead his wife in honoring Christ and in blessing others. And secondly, to protect his wife from that which threatens her spiritual, and her physical life. Husbands, if our leadership is not intended to lead our wives in these directions, then we have failed to understand the very purpose of being a leader. Our leadership in the home should always be checked against these purposes. Moreover, we must understand that just as the church has only one head, that is Christ, and as the human body has only one head upon its shoulders, so the Lord says a marriage has only one human head or leader, and that is the husband. This is not my mere opinion, but God's express declaration. If anyone has disagreement or problems with that, then the problem is not with me. It was with God himself. Also note that Paul says in Ephesians 5.23 that the headship of a husband in relationship to his wife is patterned after the headship of Christ in relationship to his church. The Lord has not left us to our own blind Blindness in seeking to be a faithful leader within the home. Simply going in whatever direction we as husbands want to go. He has given us an example to follow in Jesus Christ. Men, are our wives learning about Christ's loving leadership as they observe our own leadership? We can either, husbands, we can either illustrate the loving leadership of Christ over his church by our godly imitation of Christ's leadership, or we can blur the loving leadership of Christ over his church by our ungodly imitation of worldly leadership. Having stated the role of the husband, let us proceed to make some necessary qualifications concerning his headship and leadership within the home. First, a husband's leadership does not in any way imply that a wife is inferior to her husband as to her essential nature. For They were both made in the image of God according to Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 28. Nor does a husband's leadership imply that a wife is inferior to her husband as to her spiritual relationship to Jesus Christ, for they are equally heirs together of the grace of life, according to 1 Peter 3.7. Nor does a husband's leadership imply that he is necessarily wiser, more knowledgeable, or more gifted in various areas. For the Lord gives such gifts to each one. As he wills. Not according to one's gender. According to First Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 11. And 18. Where it says that all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. There the word man is simply to each one, no gender. Man is used here in a generic sense, not in a particularly gender-related sense. That God divides and gives gifts as pleases him to men or to women. Likewise, in verse 18, but of the same chapter, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. He's given to each one gifts as it pleases him. And so they, they use those particular gifts within the body and no doubt within their home as God has blessed them with those gifts. another qualification is that the husband's authority to lead is not his own in an absolute sense but rather is delegated to him by God it is not absolute but derived from God alone who is Lord of the conscience Acts chapter 5, verse 29, applies in all relationships where there are relationships of headship. Where the apostles say to the chief leaders of Israel that they will obey God rather than man. Likewise, in 2 Corinthians 1.24, the Apostle Paul includes himself and his own authority when he says this to the Corinthian Christians, he, being an apostle, says, not for that we, that is we apostles, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand. Just as the faithful civil magistrate is the minister of God or a servant of God to thee for good, so is the faithful husband likewise to be a minister of God or a servant of God to his wife for her good and not for her destruction, for her well-being. Thus, the husband must always lead his wife in a way that is first and foremost honoring to God. He basically shirks and abdicates his authority if he leads his wife in a direction that does not honor God. And that is if he does not lead her in a way that is in accordance with the revealed will of God. If he leads her in any other direction then he has abdicated his authority, his rightful authority at that particular point. And secondly, a husband must always lead his wife in a way that is edifying or beneficial to the spiritual and physical well-being of his wife, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse eight, where the Apostle Paul again says, for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, again speaking of the authority of the apostles, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Notice there that authority is given for edification and not for Destruction. Authority is not given to crush, but to build up. God's glory and his wife's well-being should always be that which motivates the husband in his leadership within the home. The Lord never delegated his authority to the husband so as to satisfy the selfish desire for power on the part of a man. Although I do not condone the scornful attitude many women have toward the biblical concept of male headship within a marriage which the Bible teaches, I submit to you that very often there, that is, uh, the uh, women's resentment Toward male leadership is severely aggravated by either the overbearing attitude, words, and actions of men toward their wives, or by the cowardly attitude, words, and actions of men in surrendering all godly leadership in the marriage to their wives. You can neither respect someone who is a, a tyrant, nor can you respect someone who is a coward who is a wimp. It is very, very difficult. If we any of us, whether it's a male-female relationship or whether it's a male relationship to another male, if we see those attributes in a man, even as men, it is difficult to have respect for that person. We would all acknowledge that. That's just common sense. I've witnessed many times when husbands have humbly... Repented of the abuse of their authority in their marriage, and how wives have gladly accepted their husbands' loving leadership. And I hope it doesn't come as a surprise, but gentlemen, our wives may not so much resent our leadership as much as they resent our overbearing or our wimpy leadership. A wife will not respect the leadership of either a bully or of a coward. Dear ones, selfishness and authority have no rightful place together in our marriages. However, self-sacrifice and authority should always be joined together in a marriage, according to the words of our Lord In another context dealing with authority, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, where I would submit the principles of leadership would be likewise appropriate when applied in the home as well. Matthew 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I'd submit we can't apply that in the home because we are to pattern as husbands our authority after that of Jesus Christ who came as a servant. Came with authority, but came as a servant. William Gouge in Domestical Duties, uh, page 378, has aptly Cautioned us men in the use of our authority with these words Authority is like a sword which, with overmuch using, will be blunted, and so fail to do that service which otherwise it might when there is most need. A wise, grave, peaceable man may always have his sword in readiness. And that also very bright, keen, and sharp. But he will not be very ready to pluck it out of his scabbard. He rather keepeth it for a time of need, when it should stand him in most stead. Such husbands, therefore, as are too frequent in their commands, show themselves nor grave, nor wise, nor lovers of peace." As the use of a husband's authority in commanding must be rare, so when there is occasion to use it, it must be with such mildness and moderation tempered. Husbands, as those who have been given authority within our homes, along with that authority to rule on behalf of God, To the edification and well-being of our wives comes a time of reckoning in the future, at which time we will stand before the living God and will give an account of our faithfulness in the use of God's delegated authority within our marriages. Always remember, with authority comes greater responsibility. Thus, we should not be conceited over the authority given to us by God, but rather be humbled by it, greatly humbled, and fear the Lord our God in our use of that authority given to us by God. The second main point: the duty of a husband. In Ephesians 5:25, says, "Husbands, love your wives." even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. All of the duties that a husband owes to his wife are summarized here under the single word, love. God has commanded husbands to love their wives because as leaders who have been primarily delegated God's authority to oversee the marriage, Their weakness, the husband's weakness and sinful tendency is to abuse the authority that God has given to them by either acting like tyrants or like cowards, either ruling with a rod of iron or running away from all responsibility to lead. But Paul in declaring that husbands are to lead their wives By loving them makes clear that the use of leadership in the marriage is directed away from self-centeredness and rather directed to the good and to the benefit and to the well-being of the one who is loved. Thus, leadership in the home is always to be, without exception, a loving leadership, a loving leadership that would be again in any situation ministers elders parents civil magistrates should always be a loving leadership what is the law that is to be exercised toward the wife well first of all it is not a mere romantic emotion even though that is an aspect of love. It is not a mere romantic emotion for his wife that comes and goes. Indeed, there ought to be a strong desire for physical affection and intimacy on the part of a husband toward his wife. but this love in Ephesians 5:25 is much more than mere physical intimacy. This love in Ephesians 5:25 secondly, is not giving his wife whatever she desires, even if it is not good for her and is contrary to the revealed will of God. It's not giving to her what she necessarily desires. Just as giving into the demands of our children is not demonstrating our love for them, so likewise giving into the demands, threats, manipulations, or tears of our wives is not necessarily demonstrating love for them if what they want is contrary to God's revealed will and is not, in our judgment, good for them. We never love our wives as we are herein commanded when we are led to sanction or to approve that which is unrighteous. For love, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. In fact, gentlemen, if we want to define the kind of love that we are to have for our wives, we need to daily look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We need to remind ourselves of of this particular passage of Scripture which so clearly lays out for us the qualities of love that we should have for one another, but I would suggest to you even more so in the love that we have, men, for our wives. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity... I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. I'll stop there. I would also suggest wives... Just because the Bible states that it is the primary responsibility of the husband to love his wife does not excuse wives from loving their husbands in the same manner that we have just read in the Scripture. No one, whether Christian or non-Christian, whether male or female, whether married or single, whether young or old, is exempt from the duties that we have just read with regard to love. Nor do we ever love our wives as we are herein commanded when we love our wives more, gentlemen, when we love our wives more than we love Jesus Christ. As Christ makes it clear. In Luke 14, verse 26. Wherein the Lord Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The wife is included there. Obviously, we're not talking about <coughs> despising and hating our wife. This is figurative language that is used. For in Matthew 10:37, we find that in effect what Christ is saying, that in comparison to the love that we have for Jesus Christ, the love that we have for any other relationship should pale in comparison. <coughs> In Matthew 10, verse 37, the Lord Jesus says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And we could certainly add, he that loveth a wife more than me, or she that loveth a husband more than me is not worthy of me. And of course, again, All of these principles apply equally to the wife as to the husband. A third quality of this love that's commanded in Ephesians 5.25 is that the love that is commanded here is sacrificial love and is captured in the word give. That love that is commanded is captured in the word give. Notice in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And what? And gave himself. Gave himself for it. It is a love, dear ones, that looks to the spiritual and physical well-being of the one loved, even at the expense of one's comfort health and life. Jesus Christ did not simply give us blessings, dear ones. He gave himself. He laid sacrificially down his life for us. He gave himself for us. That shows and demonstrates love. And so... Will we, husbands, do when we love our wives as Christ loved the church? In so many homes, wives are essentially bribed to keep quiet, to stay in line, and to keep some measure of order in the home by giving to them spending money to buy whatever they want. Dear husbands, certainly we should be giving our wives money that they can spend if we have it. We should certainly be allowing them that kind of freedom and liberty. I'm not talking about that, but what I'm saying is that when it becomes a bribe simply to keep a person in tow, then that is not sacrificial love, no matter how much you give. That's a bribe. Your husbands, in reality, what wives really want from us is not money per se. But it's simply that we give ourselves to them and for them. To give them time. Time to talk with us. Time to enjoy one another. Time to spend in fellowship with one another, to go places together, to continue to, as it were, if you could use this term, to court your wife as you did before you were married. To have that sense that I want to spend time with this special person in my life. That's the kind of love that a woman would have to be crazy out of her mind to reject. Fourthly, with regard to the characteristic of the love commanded here, the love commanded here in Ephesians 5.25 is also a, as we said earlier, a righteous love. It is a love that does not deviate from nor ignore the commandments of God. Parents, when we allow our children to do that which is clearly wrong and sinful because we do not want or because we want to avoid an argument, we do not really love our children. So likewise, when we as husbands say nothing about the clear or obstinate sin that we may observe in our wives just to avoid an argument, we do not really love our wives. Same may be said of wives with regard to their husbands as well. Did Jezebel show a godly love for King Ahab when she had Naboth murdered so as to give her husband Ahab exactly what he wanted, that vineyard? Was that love? Obviously not. Showing love in confronting sin, Dear also implies things like waiting for the best time to do so doing so in all humility, doing so by first removing the beam from our own eye, doing so with clear and conspicuous violations of God's commands rather than mere irritations, and doing so with a view to helping rather than destroying the one that is loved. And finally, ones this love in Ephesians 5.25 is a supernatural work of God's grace and not a natural work of man's mere determination. Certainly there is a common grace given by God to man in general whereby even the unregenerate can demonstrate a certain measure of these qualities. But only those who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God can know and grow in the love of Jesus Christ that is commanded here to be exercised. And so let us not for one second believe that this is simply and only an act on our part. Certainly, when we do not feel the inner workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives to compel us to love our wives as we ought to, gentlemen, doesn't mean that we shouldn't still, by way of simply doing what we know to do, carry out that which we ought to. We don't wait for some huge impression or overwhelming Influence to, to occur in our life before we love our wives. In fact, I would submit to you that love for your wife, gentlemen, is shown even to a greater degree when you don't feel like it. When that emotion is absent and you can simply do what you know is right to do in those circumstances and situations. I would submit that the neglect of the husband in loving his wife as Christ loved the church is a more aggravated sin in this respect than that of a wife that does not submit as she is called to do for this reason is more aggravated for this reason the husband represents Jesus Christ to his wife and Christ first loved his bride even an unlovable bride even an ungodly bride he first loved his bride and gave himself for her before his bride reciprocated and returned that love to him. I say that not—I say that not, not as to to uh, excuse the sin of wives who will not submit to their husbands. That's not the point, <coughs> but to demonstrate the primacy of a husband's duty to love his wife. For where there is this type of love, it is, listen closely, it is far more likely that a wife will take seriously her submission to her husband. And wives, you can encourage your husbands to love you, even though it's their duty to love you when you're not very lovable. You can encourage that love by your Patience with your husband, who is sincerely seeking to be a godly husband, weak and frail as he may be. And that's a great testimony if you encourage him. If you come alongside in his weakness and he knows that you are standing with him. It's a great testimony of your love for him. And your desire to have a godly husband to lead you. Husbands, I ask you to consider how you are training your own sons for their marriage. Will you have to tell them, don't follow my example in leading my wife and your mother, but rather follow Mr. So-and-so's example. Husbands, if we sincerely desire that our wives follow our leadership in the home, if we earnestly pray for a godly peace and order within our homes, a haven of rest within our homes, God calls us to imitate Christ by leading our wives in love, in laying down our lives for them, and in putting aside all selfishness, So that we know we lead them because we love them, not because we are on a power trip. As I said earlier, what woman in her right mind won't delight to follow a a husband who loves her as Christ loves the church? I end today where I began. Husbands, this is an impossible calling. From a mere human perspective. But with God and with His grace, all things are possible. There is hope. There is hope for you. If you will cast yourselves upon the Lord Jesus Christ, there is hope for your marriage. Even if there has been 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of an up and down relationship, constant fighting and bickering, there is hope. If there is no hope, I submit to you, there is no Jesus Christ. If there is no hope, I submit to you, there is nothing called the grace of God. We might as well forget the Christian life if there is no hope for us in our marriages to help us in our many weaknesses and frailties. And, husbands, even if your wife will not follow your loving leadership, it is yet your duty to exercise that loving leadership. You cannot, you cannot resign or abdicate that loving leadership in your home any more than Christ can do so in his church. If you have failed to lead your wife in a loving and godly manner, as we all have, repent of that sin and seek her forgiveness endeavoring to do so in the future. Wives, as I said earlier, your encouragement to your husbands in this matter is so, so very important. For a husband who struggles in this area will not become a more effective leader by continually pointing out his weaknesses and faults. Your prayers for him and your loving submission to him will more likely help him to become the leader that he ought to be than if you continue to war against him. Our children, dear ones, will call us blessed if they see that love manifested between a husband and wife, yea, even their mother and father in the home. Let us stand together in prayer.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books 3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin